My name is Clint. And this is Gordon. Thanks for joining us, guys. Anything cool happen recently? Recently? In life? Uh, yeah. A lot of things. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me about the story of your life. The story of my life? Well, about... This is the story of a Gordon... 27 years ago. Great. Well, in nine months. You know. Wow, you're old. My parents loved each other. Okay. Very much. All right. Good story. Yeah. Uh, great. Great. Let's just jump right into it because I don't know how to respond to that. Do you have any current media that you're taking in? I do, actually. Oh, my gosh. I know. Okay, go it's for it. It's only been a few seconds. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that yesterday, well, when this comes out, it'd be like two weeks in a day. So I'm in the thick of it now. But yesterday... As we were recording this in podcast time, I started with Oliver Dor, or um, a Louis de Montfort's consecration to Mary. Hmm. The true devotion to Mary. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. Yeah. So we're doing that. It's like one of the OGs. Yeah. 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 Cool. That's it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I don't have a whole lot, but. One of the things I did this week is uh, one of my teens invited me to an open practice for her color guard performance. Nice. And so the theme of the performance was uh, the earth and recycling and like taking care of the environment and stuff like that. So the whole story they're telling throughout the song is about caring for the earth. And so I didn't realize how long they practiced. They had a four and a half hour practice. Mm -hmm. So I was not there the whole time. But I was there for about two hours, probably. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a theater practice or like a dance practice or something. Yeah. But they just keep playing the same right. scene yeah, yeah. over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So I listened to probably not even the whole song of Fix You by Coldplay, but certain parts of that song at least 100 times. Um, but yeah, so Fix You by Coldplay was the song that they were using. So yeah. That was, uh, it was interesting. It, I, hmm. Apparently they have these open practices every once in a while. And at the last one, there was like a whole bunch of parents that showed up and like there was a whole crowd and everything. I showed up and I was the only <laughs> adult there for like the first hour and a half. And I was just like, I feel like such a creeper right now. You are. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was just there to support my teen. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. So, yeah, actually, they were super talented too. They did like the the sabers too, yeah, like the the swords, right? So, like where I grew up, I don't think we had anything other than the flags. Really? So they had flags, rifles, sabers, and then they used like props and stuff too. But we were not as like. And the rifles. We did not use rifles, but mm. they they did at okay at this 
practice. Yeah. So it was pretty intense. They would do like these huge like flips, flips. where they'd flip like, the the sabers like five times in the air. No, four times. It was called a quad, so it's got to be four. But it was ridiculous. Really cool. Definitely could not do that. Yeah. So I took in that song, and then the only other thing I've really taken in is uh, I I broke fast from Exodus for this to watch uh, a movie, which I don't know how I haven't done an episode on this already, because I used to literally give a talk on this, um, but it's the movie 300, which came out like when we were in middle school or early yeah, high school. Oh, totally. Around that time. Mm-hmm. And when this came out, it, it was huge. Like, it had a huge following. I was just telling you before, we used to watch this all the time, and we would we'd quote it in school. We actually, my, my friends in high school, we would kind of, like, pair off, and some of us would be Spartans, some of us would be Persians. Basically, everyone wanted to be Spartans because they were the cool ones, you know? But we would have literal battles in, like, the hallways and stuff where we'd just, like, jump off the walls and, like, do all the tricks and stuff that we, we see in the movie. Just being dumb high school guys but it it was a good time but everyone wanted to be the spartans i think there's a reason to that there was something about them that we enjoyed from this movie uh, other than just like the gore and the violence but there was something in them itself that i I think we especially as guys desire to emulate totally um and it's not just the fact that they have like 10 packs like those weren't six packs those guys are so ripped i heard they were (laughs) spray on though i'm sure they were so i mean there was a bunch of other weird beasts that don't really exist, so like rhinos, I'm sure the elephants, six packs, also yeah, didn't exist. Also true. So that's what we're going to be talking about is the movie Three Hundred. First things first, this movie is definitely not for kids. There is a ton of gore, lots of blood. Even though it's extremely fake-looking blood, it is still very bloody, and there is a lot of nudity in this as well. So do not watch this with kids. And in fact. I would suggest skipping over certain parts. You'll know right away which ones. So just, yep. they're not necessary to the storyline. Necessary. Uh, Saw this movie. Most of them. In the theater with my grandma. It was a good time. Yikes. It was so awkward. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, all, all of a sudden you have to go get popcorn. Yeah. Like, are we all acknowledging this happening? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we're not going to be talking about anything inappropriate in, in this episode, uh, so feel free to still listen with kids if, if you so choose. But it opens up, so if you're not familiar with this, this is about the 300 Spartans and the rest of the Greeks that were with them, but mostly the 300 Spartans who defended the pass of Thermopylae mm-hmm. against the giant Persian army of slaves that was invading Greece. So that's the story. And it's obviously been glorified or Hollywoodized, however you want to say totally. it. But there is a little bit of truth to it. So we'll kind of go through. Um, but it opens up talking about the main character as he's growing up. So his name's Leonidas. He's the king. But it's talking about him as a prince and his years of training. So the first quote I want to talk about. It says, this is the narrator who we later find out is the character Delios. So not super important, but at this point, he's a narrator. It says, when the boy was born, like all Spartans, he was inspected. If he were small or puny or sickly or misshapen, he would have been dis- discarded. 
So this is actually really closely tied to Christianity because in the ancient times, especially in Greece and Rome, if you saw your child and you didn't want them, so maybe like they said, they were not healthy in the way that you wanted them to be healthy. Maybe it was a girl and you wanted a boy, or if you have too many kids, you could literally just put them out on the street or uh, in this movie, they had like a, a place where they dropped them off. Yeah, and those existed too. Yeah, and so you it, you legally could just leave them to die if you didn't want your child. But on the other hand, by law, if you adopt a child, you cannot ever discard them. You cannot ever disown them. Once you've adopted, they are yours forever. And the other cool thing about uh, ad- adopting in Roman and Greek practice is that no matter what class, like social class, they come from, whatever they are adopted into is their new life. Mm-hmm. So they, they could be like a plebeian, which is like the, the lower people, right? And they could be adopted into a family of like royals or nobles. Right. And they're no longer a plebeian. Now they are a noble and they have all the rights and responsibilities and wealth that comes with that. Uh, in the same way, whatever from the previous life they had, maybe they had debts or different things tied to like their name as as a plebe. When they are adopted, all those things are gone. Can you speak into how this ties to us as Christians who are adopted through our baptism? No. no I just can't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You already took it away from me. I said adopted in our baptism. Well, you were shaking your head, so I was trying to give you more information. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> it's it's always an interesting thing, especially if you kind of dive into scripture one of the first times to see, you know, the phrase, you are my adopted sons and daughters in Christ, um, coming from like God and, and those things, because we are God's sons and daughters. We are created by God. So how can our creator adopt us type mm-hmm. thing that's like super confusing but it was a terminology specifically used in the letters and to these people of this time where that law stood right um, because by saying you're adopted into this new life in christ as my sons and daughters it means whatever your old life was whatever debt or sin or anything that you feel like you have you carried is gone it's no longer who you are. You are made brand new, just like in the episode we did last week of being washed clean through baptism. Yeah. And you are now a, a this person of Christ. You are now this, you are now made completely new mm-hmm. and you are mine and I love you. Like, r- like relish in that fact. Yeah. yeah. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Another thing is really interesting too is around this time or even probably even a little later really is, is where we get it, like the works of mercy in the church and even like this pro-life movement because during this times when people were like just putting kids and children in like pits mm-hmm. nuns and stuff in the church would go out and take those kids to like save them yeah. and like raise them and we'd have orphanages that's and where, all those things and like orphanages and, were and, created. And, yeah and then the hospital when like the church was the ones like more during the one being the hospital. Yeah, during the plague, they would yeah. like take those people who were being discarded. Exactly. And, and care for them. Yeah, and I think that's huge. But yeah. For we, sure. Yeah. No, that's right on. So uh, after this kind of brief scene of like him growing up, then we, we kind of see the current time, 
right? And during this, we have some Persian messengers that come in to Sparta to deliver the message that uh, King Xerxes is is coming. And during this time, there's this claim that he is not just a king, but he is a god king. And we mm-hmm. hear that throughout the entire movie. And so we see this aspect of pride from the very beginning. Right. And he demands that all the world submits to him or be annihilated. Right. So we very much see like our Satan figure is is making it very obvious for us, right? And there's all this thing throughout the movie of talking about how vast his armies are and that they will um, shake the earth with their movements and the arrows will block out the sun and all this stuff. And they even reference the battlefield later on in the movie as hell's mouth. And so we see this as like the armies of Satan prowling about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, right? Like this is literally how we describe the armies of, of Satan. And so we, we have that character very much set up as this prideful Satan figure. On the other hand, uh, basically what happens is the Spartans government will not let the army march to defend them because they've been bribed. And so Leonidas, the brave king and his 300 men that he choose are going as his personal bodyguards as he goes for a convenient walk to the exact location where they want to have the battle, which is this really thin pass where you have to enter through, but it's narrow enough that you can defend it with only a few. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so before they they leave, Leonidas is kind of inspecting them and looking over the soldiers that were chosen. And one of them steps out and says, we are with you, sire, for Sparta, for freedom to the death. And this kind of just sets us up as these men are here to fight for freedom which again kind of reminds me of what we've been talking a lot about recently of Exodus and these men coming together to fight for freedom and fighting against slavery. Because that's the other thing that we learn throughout the movie is that the entire Persian army is just slaves that were captured throughout their conquests and forced to fight. Mm. And so we have these the slavery fighting against pure freedom. Right. And anytime they reference the Greeks, they reference them as freed men or free Greeks. And so freedom against slavery. Okay. And so I, I don't think we need to beat more Exodus <laughs> things into y'all. So I, I think that probably gets it, but do you want to say anything on that before we move on? So we have the devil, Satan figure, freedom and slavery. Um, no, I don't, I don't really think so. I think, uh, Oh, I think this kind of goes also into the episode on like cuphead and like the devil went down the Georgia type thing because they're choosing to go up against it and fight. And I think fighting for freedom makes perfect sense in, in this idea of like obtaining freedom out of slavery. But the idea to face Satan head on, we talked about that in that episode and you go back and check that out, can be dangerous mm-hmm. um, and, and is something to just be aware of. It's not like I want out of slavery, so I'm going to go face Satan head on um, because he's he's conniving and knows us and is a few steps ahead of us usually. And so he might take that pride of you like i can do this um and twist it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. for sure so it's extremely dangerous to do that um so after we we get to the battle uh or to the battlefield Mm -hmm. they're kind of setting up the scenes uh they see a lot of the persians are destroyed on the ships before they even land so they're kind of excited about that and then they realize how many they're still alive anyways and they're (laughs) like oh it didn't really matter yeah and as they're kind of setting up their defenses 
this emissary with some soldiers comes in from the Persian army and he says this. Listen, do you think the poultry dozen you slew scares us? These hills will swarm with our scouts. And do you think your little wall will do anything but fall like a heap of dry leaves in the face? And then it kind of cuts off. I'm pretty sure at that point they kill him uh, or cut him off and say something else instead. But the whole point of this is they're building this wall mostly of rocks, but also using the the scouts that they had killed right. of the Persian armies to like build this wall, funneling all of them into this pass, uh, all the Persian army into this pass where they have to fight the Spartans. And so this to me is kind of like the lies of Satan telling us that what we're doing is not good enough. Right. The defenses that we're putting up, it's just, it's not going to do anything. And then the emissary, so he must not have been killed. Because later on he says, our arrows will block out the sun. And this is like one of the best quotes. One of the Spartans retaliates and says, then we'll fight in the shade. And later on that comes up again as kind of a, a joke. But throughout the battles, we see that they use the bodies that they defeat to rebuild their defenses. Mm-hmm. And even to like drop on the, the rest of the Persian army as an attack. And so... I think there's something to that in our spiritual battle too, where we use the victories that we've won to push us forward and to help solidify our, our defenses. So what do you think about that? No, totally. I think that's, uh, it's totally, for some reason, I don't know why I think of, because uh, I don't do this, but I think of like bouldering and climbing Yeah. when, when hearing about this because of like the, the movie like or the documentary like Don Wall and certain things like that where these people scale um, a piece of a mountain that hasn't been scaled or hasn't been bouldered or climbed or whatever yet and they they figure out the path but in order to do it they climb up and they make a new stake and then they climb to the next part and make a new stake and there's a certain point i've seen at most where they get stuck where it's like okay like i know i gotta get there but I have to do this, this, and this to get there. And they, and they're, they're going and they're halfway and then they fall and they're going and half when they fall and their like hands are like bleeding and they're mm-hmm. cut, but they don't give up because they've already made it halfway up this unscalable cliff on the scalable wall. And it's like, they look down and they're like, okay, well I've made it this far. I can't give up because, because I've made it this far. So it's, it's possible. And eventually they do, they make it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing. I'm just like, when when you're faced with with this overcoming sense of loss or failure to look back and be like well look at the look at these victories i've made it so far what's one more foothold i can i can do this it would be for not to have these cuts and bruises on my hands if i don't make it to the top right and i think it's the same thing in this battle of like look we've defeated this Let's keep going. And I think, I mean, we'll probably get to it, but that's what the beauty of this movie is. They go till death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely get there. (laughs) And even in their death itself, it becomes a victory. Right. But we'll talk about that. So the next part, and this is one of the biggest parts that I wanted to talk about. There's this character called Ephialtes. And he is actually one of the mutated, kind of disformed children who was put out to die. But his, his mother loved him so much that uh, his mother and father took him and ran away with him instead. And so they left Sparta and raised him on their own. And his father, even though he was deformed, trained him in, in the way of Spartan 
warriors. Uh, and so he kind of just shows up. No one had even met him before this, but he, he kind of stalks behind them and follows them into battle. And he wants to fight to reclaim his honor and status within the society and prove that even though he's disformed, he has value. Mm-hmm. And so the way that he does that is he comes up to Leonidas and one of his captains and tries to uh, prove his point and, and let him join the ranks. And so this is what he says. He says, my father trained me to feel no fear, to make shield and sword and spear as much a part of me as my own beating heart. The problem is he can't raise his shield because of his deformity. So he's kind of like a hunchback. And Leonidas points out that this is the one reason why he can't join. And this is why. Leonidas says, your father should have taught you how a phalanx works. We fight as a single, impenetrable unit. This is the source of our strength. Each Spartan protects the man to his left, thigh to neck with his shield. A single weak spot, and the phalanx shatters. Thigh to neck, Ephialtes. I'm sorry. Because he couldn't lift it up to the thigh, neck region, and so they, they were not safe. This is huge. There's yeah. so many things here that I want to pull out. So we'll yeah. do a few at a time, and then we'll kind of break it down. So the first things first is that they don't protect themselves. The whole point of the phalanx, it only works if each of the individuals is not selfish. And instead of protecting themselves, they protect their brother to the side of them. And so they have to be humble and trusting in those around them to lift them up and to, to care for them and make sure that they stay safe. So that's part of it. And I think we recognize this a lot in stories, how we always love the the heroes that work together. So like, I think a really good example is in like Harry Potter. Yeah. Harry always wants to say like, no, I, I need to do this by, by myself. And we're all like, no, you don't. Like you have Ron and Hermione and, and Neville and like literally Dumbledore's army is here to help you. And it's not until he kind of accepts that, that they're actually able to make process progress. And in the same way, it's happening here too. Like they need to be able to work together as a team. But in reality, like in the real world, as much as we love that in stories, I don't think we live that very well. No. Yeah, totally. Because we have this idea that we need to prove ourselves or we need to do something. But if we look at those stories, it's always the villains who are truly alone. But that's what we're trying to do in our own life. So that's the first thing I want to bring up. Yeah, I totally. I mean, I think what's really interesting is when you think about it, especially the size of their shields, when you think about that and defending yourself and then trying to wield a weapon and attack with it, how less like mobility you have. Uh, it's, it's always awkward. I've, I've, I'd be terrible with a shield and a weapon. So it's always awkward having a shield and then the weapon and having to go around your own shield. But if you're like, since it's already on like your left or your right, to, to guard the person over here and then you have this i mean of course there's another shield gonna be in front of you but it's not you so you you can move around that rather than having to move both arms mm-hmm. it it just makes more sense <clears throat> and then the the one line of like when he's saying like you know one small weak point mm-hmm. because we'll we will see or get into like the wall that they build when they dome themselves off yeah and they're just like a giant like tortoise shell right and if it and this idea so that idea reminds me of i know we know we just said we're not gonna bring up exodus but this idea <laughs> of fraternity okay. or sorority even 
and like you were saying lifting yeah. each other up and what's really important is like fast asceticisms sororities fraternities all these things are going to affect each and every one of us differently because our, we're all very different but when one person really fails or chooses against you it really it, brings everybody else yeah down. it hurts everyone and that's that's the cost of this he's not saying like i don't want that's the thing he's not saying i don't want you in my army he's just saying like you will you will cost the lives of of so many of our soldiers right and that is not to your your fault of your own it's just right and he, he even says like i just don't want you fighting like yeah. you can serve us in other ways like right. you can be a value to sparta you just can't fight yeah. This is not your your skill. Yeah. Right. And that's like a gifts and talents thing. The other, I mean, I know you probably have some other things, but the other thing I like, I loved from the quotes he pulled up was what the the form guy said about his dad taught him to make these things so much as a part of him as his own beating heart. Yeah. And that's also something for our own spiritual life, like the scripture, uh, rosaries, like these these tools and these talents that were given shouldn't just be something we have to we i mean it should at first should be something we learn but eventually there should be so much a part of us that like we're just waking up and we're just living our day and we're living and breathing and beat our heart is beating into the word of god and into these prayers and into this life that is with christ yeah no that's exactly it i even have notes saying word for word <laughs> like uh so it talks about the the shield and the sword and the spear mm-hmm. becoming so much a part of them uh, i have a note here saying like and there's, I don't remember who, who quoted this. I want to say it's um, uh, Padre Pio, possibly, who said that the rosary is the sword of our faith. And so, like, prayer, in, the, in that sense, is how we, we attack and how we, we fight for our spiritual battle. On the other side of things, the shield, so in Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, right? And so, and I've also heard, like you said, scripture being that, that shield of our faith as well. And so right. we very much have these things, like you said, that need to become a part of our life so much so that I think he says it's, he lives and breathes as much of him as his own beating heart. That's what he says. Yeah. And what's really fascinating about that, like the scripture or, you know, word of God being the shield Mm-hmm. is going back to how they use their shields and the weakness. And so that's prayer. Like shielding your brethren is praying for them. Yeah. And a weakness in that is not praying for them. And right. how like a lack of prayer is not harmful to you, but to the mystical body of Christ. Yeah. And that's crazy. For sure. So going back to the... I guess, protecting of, of your brother thing. There's one, one story that I want to bring out. There's this group of saints that I, I love to talk about, and they're called the 40 Martyrs of Celeste. And basically, they were a group of Roman centurions who were marching through modern-day Turkey near a city of Celeste in the winter. So it was very, very cold, and there was this frozen lake. And at the time, it was illegal to be Christian, right? And so the commander found out that 40 of his men were uh, proclaimed Christians, baptized Christians, and he brought them to the side of the lake, stripped off all their armor, their clothing, their weapons, and forced them to walk naked out into a uh, stand on, on the ice lake. And he made them stand there until they 
recanted and worshipped the pagan idols of the Romans. So they refused, saying over and over again, let there be 40. Because as long as the 40 of them stood together, they believed that they would be able to stand through and stand up for their faith and what they believed. And eventually through the night, same thing happens. The commander starts getting frustrated. So he starts putting up fires around. He's like, look, like there's fire. Like you can be warm. He puts up uh, like um, tubs of water that they can come and lay in over the fires that are like nice and warm. It's like a hot tub basically. And eventually late into the night, one of the 40 breaks. He walks off and he says, essentially like, how can there be a God with suffering like this or something like that? You know, like the cliche. Yeah. And so he, he walks off and he goes into one of the tubs of hot water and apparently not thinking because if you go from super cold to right. su- super hot really yeah. fast, your body goes into shock and you die. So in a matter of seconds, he, he was dead. So the last thing he did with his, his life was to deny God. Seeing the bravery of the other 39, one of the centurions who was not Christian said something to the effect of, this God must be real. Look at the faith of, of these people. I too want to be Christian. He took off his own armor, his own weapons, his own clothes, and he marched out. And they said again, let there be 40. And they stood together. They all ended up freezing to death, uh, but they encouraged each other through the night and, and stood up. And so that kind of goes along with what we we're talking about, like standing up fraternity and, and being with your, your fellow people. And then because I love Tolkien, I need to bring in this too. We have Frodo and Samwise Gamgee bringing the ring, which symbolizes sin, up to Mount Doom to destroy it. So that's kind of like a a reconciliation in a way of destroying the sin. So they're going up and over time, Frodo, who in this situation represents us and Sam represents like our friends or vice versa. Frodo starts to collapse from sheer exhaustion because they've been walking thousands of miles they have not had enough food and water but ultimately what knocks him to the ground is the weight of the ring or of the, the sin right that's been weighing him down for so long and it's just been too much to bear and so this is what Samwise or sam says i can't carry it for you but i can carry you and so it's this idea that i can't carry your sins for you those are yours to bear but i can help carry you to where you need to be Mm-hmm. Again, just being that uh, fraternal support. So, any last things on that before we move on? No, I think that's, I mean, it's, you know, those two really small quotes, I think that's huge and that's, that's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So, we have a, f- a few battles in there that doesn't really... Battle. Yeah, I mean, it's epic and, and cool. Like you said, the, the shield walls are absolutely amazing. I think that's one of the things that we really... Everyone remembers. Like everyone loves and just like (laughs) so cool but eventually xerxes himself comes forward and he has this giant i don't even know how they carry it it's like so many slaves like hundreds of slaves carrying this giant like golden yeah not even chair it's It's like a mountain super cool piercings yeah all over and he comes forth and he's talking to leonidas and this is kind of the conversation so xerxes says it isn't wise to stand against me leonidas Imagine what horrible fate awaits my enemies when I would gladly kill any of my own men for victory. And Leonidas says, And I would die for any one of mine. You have many slaves, Xerxes, but few warriors. It won't be long before they fear my spears more than your whips. Xerxes, 
It is not the lash that they fear. It is my divine power. But I am a generous God. I can make you rich beyond measure. I will make you warlord of all Greece. You will carry my battle standard to the heart of Europa. Your Athenian rivals will kneel at your feet if you will but kneel at mine. I know we just talked about this in a recent episode, but it's Satan tempting right. Jesus in the desert. Totally. So you have wealth, power, glory, literally the temptations right there. And then Le- Leonidas, after a little bit, says, you are generous as you are divine, O king of kings. And he's saying it kind of sarcastically. Well, I guess the sarcasm comes later on, but he's calling him king of kings, which is already like a reference to Christ, right? right. But it's this satanic impersonation of, of Christ's right. yeah, yeah, divinity. Yeah. And he goes on to say, such an offer only a madman would refuse, but, and this is where the sarcasm really comes in, the idea of kneeling, you see, slaughtering all of your men has left this nasty cramp in my, my leg, so kneeling would be kind of hard for me. And then Xerxes offers kind of this, this false freedom, right? So throughout this whole movie so far, at the beginning... He says, you can keep your power. All I want is earth and water. So he just wants your land, essentially. Now, he's saying, kneel before me. And then he goes on to say, serve me. And so you see the progression of, all I want is just your land. You can keep everything. And so it gives this idea that we're still in control, Mm -hmm. when in reality, we're not. And as we look at it, eventually... He takes away so much of who we are and what we have in our defenses that we're a soldier alone on the battlefield without our shield and our, our sword. Right. And so it's kind of this uh, this progressive lie, just taking a little bit at a time. So thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think what's important is start where he started with. Like, I just want your where, where you live. I just want your environment. Yeah. And what's interesting is like Satan's like, just give me just the space. I want it. Whereas Christ literally says, I am building you a space in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like I am providing an environment. I'm providing water and earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the difference of like taking versus the giving. Right. And, and that idea. Yeah. And then just that subtlety of when you give uh, your environment to to evil, like the people you surround yourselves or what's what's around you like you said eventually you're going to be walking and you're going to look around and everything else that's that's on you or the the sword and the shield the weapons you carry are gone too and you're like mm-hmm. how did i get here yeah um that, that's that's all it takes yeah and even going off of that too imagine if leonidas said yes mm-hmm. imagine what the consequences would be in the same way that when we stand together we're really really strong but he said when there's one leak weak link in in the wall right what if the king is that weak link right imagine what consequence that would have not just for the 300 here but for all of sparta for all of greece and as he pointed out all of europe yeah because persia had no intention of stopping at sparta (laughs) and athens yeah they were planning on going as far as they could he he said he wanted to be the god king of all the the earth right and so that's really significant that in this moment, even though it seemed like all that was on the line was his own power, his own wealth, 
in reality, there was so much more that was at stake. Yeah, totally. So another thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, going back to Ephialtes, uh, the deformed guy, and his conversation with Leonidas, he told Leonidas about a secret goat path around the pass leading behind where the Spartans were holding. And this is really big because he, he told Leonidas and when he was rejected by Leonidas as a soldier, he was so broken and, and like beaten up that he betrayed the Spartans and he went to go tell Xerxes and Xerxes takes advantage of that. And he offers him all the same things that he just offered to Leonidas. And he says, yes, I want all of it. I want, I want the wealth. I want the women. And one more thing, I want a uniform because he wants to feel like he, he belongs. Right. Xerxes says, done. You will find I am kind. Unlike the cruel Leonidas who demanded that you stand, I require only that you kneel. And so it's this idea of like twisting the words of like, it's so much easier to just kneel. It's so much easier to just go, go down and right. submit right. and to stand up. And again, it's, it's all this play on, on language and uh, desires of this is where you belong. Yeah, like silver tongue type. Yeah. And what I really wanted to point out from this is, I know we've talked about the rules of Ignatius before, but the 14th rule of St. Ignatius And so he talks about spiritual discernment and spiritual warfare. And the 14th rule specifically says something along this. The devil is like a general trying to find the weakest points in your spiritual defenses. And when you you are in spiritual consolation, which is when uh, you feel the presence of God and things are good in prayer. When you are in spiritual consolation, strengthen those points. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, the 300... And the, the other few Greeks that are there supporting them, they're standing strong. They're doing great. Like, if they held up like this, eventually they would probably win. Right. They, they really haven't really lost that many people. The Persians have lost thousands at this point. But they haven't really defended this passage, even though they were warned about it. Mm-hmm. And even though Ephialtes left them. And so... What this is saying is when you're in a good place in prayer, one of the things you should be doing is recognizing what are the weak points that typically lead me away from this good point. And now that I have, like we're talking about before, those victories that we're in a good place, we need to use those to solidify or strengthen that weak point. Right. And they obviously didn't do that. Right. right, So uh, any any thoughts on that? Uh, Not really. No more than I think you shared or that we already kind of talked about. I think if anything, we come back to it. Based on what else might, you know, come up. Okay, great. So one kind of short thing, Delios, who is our narrator. Okay. There's this conversation in one of the battles, he gets cut over the eye. And Leonidas goes up to him and says, Delios, I trust that scratch has not made you useless. And Delios says, hardly, my lord. It's just an eye. The God saw fit to grace me with a spare. (laughs) And I think this is kind of just a, a really short thing to point out, but the whole, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Right. Uh, because it's better for you to enter with one missing eye than to yep. g- go to shale. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of this way that he responds to King Leonidas of, 
It's just an eye. Yeah. Like I would much rather lose that than lose the battle. Right. So just something small. I don't totally. think there's much more to yeah, it yeah. than that. Uh, so the next thing I want to point out. So the rest of the free Greeks are about to leave because they found out that the Persians know about the pa- passage now. Okay. And so basically anyone who's not those 300 Spartans is leaving. And he, Leonidas is sending Delios as a messenger back to Sparta to let them know. So we'll talk about that in a second. But Leonidas says to the leader of the rest of the Greeks, go spread the word. Let every Greek assembly know the truth of this and each among them search his own soul. And while you're at it, search your own. And so it's kind of like a, you're leaving us now that it's getting hard kind of thing. Right. But I think this also speaks very much of the gospel too. Yeah, totally. So go spread the word. Let every Greek know, or every assembly, right? Assembly is also where we get the word for church from, by the way. Know the truth of this word. And each among you search his soul, and while you're at it, search your own. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add? I mean, it's like the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Great Commissioning. It's just the being sent out to be like, here, like, go and share the good news. Mm-hmm. And, you know while you're at it since you're entering into different areas of of gentiles or of of plebes as you once put it like different things like that like you're allowing the space for these people who serve other gods or other things to kind of look inward and be like oh this is kind of it, it aligns with all my desires and all these things but since you're also entering into these places where other people believe different things it's going to cause what you're saying to be challenged and so mm-hmm. in that same way, reflect, examine, as you will. Yeah. You're talking about St. Ignatius and and search your own soul as well to hold on to this good news that you are spreading. Know yourself. Yeah, for sure. I only have just a, a few more points I want to bring up and then we can kind of wrap it up here. So the next one is after all those people leave, Leonidas addresses his soldiers and he says, children gather around. So rather than addressing them as men or mm-hmm. soldiers, like he has this entire movie, he as the king comes forward and says, children gather round. And he says, a new age has begun, an age of freedom. And all will know that 300 Spartans gave their last breath to defend it. 299. Well, at this point, it's like 296, (laughs) but somewhere on there. But that's that's a really good point, though, because he's saying, first off, children gathering around. This king addressing us as his children. So we already have this Christ figure. A new age has begun. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus talks yep. about that all the time. I'll make yep. all things new. Totally. An age of freedom. We've yes. already talked about being... The, oh, last the, week's episode. Uh, yeah, exactly. go back and listen to yeah. that. And then all will know that they gave their last breath to defend it. And I think a lot of this comes down to martyrdom. Yeah. In, in the way that this whole movie is being portrayed. And yeah, there's even a point earlier on where... Uh, Delios, as the narrator is talking about death on the battlefield in service to Sparta was the greatest glory that any man could achieve in his life. And if you look at the early Christian church, they were so willing to embrace martyrdom for the faith. And I'm not saying we should go out and like seek that. I know there are people who do, and that's not good. Don't do that. But there's this, this thing about hope that comes from those martyrs. And, and I think that's really important to who we are as a Christian people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, there's the two types of martyrdom, isn't there? 
Yeah, like a bloody martyrdom and the uh, the white martyrdom. Yeah, and so like knowing that too, just to like live your life here on earth in defense of your faith is like like he said one of the greatest like defending life as part is one of the greatest things you mm-hmm. can do it's glorifying not you but god right yeah and that's why it's the greatest glory because exactly. it's not your glory yeah and so immediately after this we have the queen who i haven't really talked about but it's leonidas's wife queen gorgo and she's speaking to the assembly about these things encouraging them to go send the rest of the army to to stand up for them i don't really want to go into too much detail here because uh, i don't know if there's that much there but she's encouraging them to send the army she says send the army for the preservation of liberty send it for justice send it for law and order send it for reason but most importantly send it for hope and i think that kind of ties along with what we were just talking about there too because that's what we see which she even goes on to say like a hope that the king and his men the king and his men have not been wasted to the pages of history but that their courage bonds us together mm. and so that's kind of what we were talking about with the martyrdom uh, inspiring gathering together the rest of us and, and inspiring us to stand up as well yeah totally okay next thing once again we have uh, Xerxes comes forward with his hosts we have an emissary that comes forward and encourages Leonidas to lay down uh, they are completely surrounded by archers at this point because the mountain pass has been discovered. There's no way they're getting out of this. They're completely surrounded. This is where you talk about the turtle. Mm-hmm. They're all turtled up right now. Right. And turtle. <laughs> Delios is kind of narrating this as they present to Leonidas this idea of lay down your arms and we will let you live all this power, stuff like that. And so this is what Delios narrates. His helmet is stifling. It narrowed his vision, and he must see far. His shield is heavy. It threw him off balance, and his target was far away. And right after this, there's kind of this epic move where they actually attack Leonidas himself with a spear and show that he's not the god king that he claims to be because he bleeds. Uh, And earlier on, they say, like, god kings don't bleed. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty epic. Uh, but what I want to point out here is something pretty simple, but I think sometimes we put things in place in our spiritual lives that we think are going to help us. Right. But in, in reality, they are actually hindrances at different times in our spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to know if we could kind of speak on that really quick. Yeah, I think I think that goes back to part of when, you know, Leonidas is telling the one guy like, this isn't the way you were meant to serve. And we want you to serve in other ways. And so like God's will to ours in, in a way and, and our gifts and talents to what we can and know what we can do and invest in to what we really want to do. And so like we talked about swords and shields and there are different forms of that in our spiritual life and different tools and stuff that will work for you and not work for you. And to desire one thing and try to uh, pick it up before you've built that muscle Mm-hmm. Um, is it, it can be foolishness and you know that that term comes up in scripture yeah um and and so to to, to choose uh wisdom and to know like the, the wisdom and, and those virtues and to build those things first so that you can discern what god wants and when doing that properly like if you've been speaking build up your brethren and 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 glorify god mm-hmm. fully rather than trying to do this thing so quickly and so easily and cutting corners that 
you're going to hinder everyone else and you're not going to glorify God and you're going to harm your own life in the end. Right. I'm glad that you brought up Ephialtes because as he's like taking off his armor and stuff before they do the attack, he looks over at Ephialtes and he says, you there, Ephialtes, I hope that you live forever. And the first time, like when I was younger and watching this, I definitely saw this as a, a slight, like you betrayed us. Now I hope you suffer for, for all eternity. Right. But as I watched it this time, I, I noticed that there wasn't like anger in Leonidas's face or in his voice. It almost seemed genuine to me. I hope that you live forever. It, it almost sounds like, I hope that you find redemption and re- repentance from this. And as soon as he says that, Ephialtes kind of like turns away, like ashamed and like covers his face and starts to weep. And it's almost like Judas. Right. You, you know, you have the Judas, the betrayer, but then he repents. Well, he, he recognizes that he, what he did was wrong, but he doesn't come back seeking forgiveness. Instead, he ends up dead. Yeah. And so that's what we see happen. But it's this genuine, like, I hope you live in eternity. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to bring up, and this is a very long quote. This is the closing quote to the entire movie. And it is the epic, like, I guess, battle charge. Now Delios has been sent back and he has brought the rest of the Spartan armies, but not just the Spartan armies. He's brought like all the Greek armies together and there's just like final stand basically. And you don't see the battle, but it's kind of like what seems to be happening. So Delios, remember why we died. He did not wish for tribute or song, no monuments or poems of war and valor. His wish was simple. Remember us, he had said to me. That was his hope. Shall any free soul come to that place? In all the countless centuries come to be, may all our voices whisper to you from the ageless stones. And so my king died and my brothers died, barely a year ago. Long I pondered my king's cryptic talk of victory, but time has proven him wise. For from free Greek to free Greek, word was spread that bold Leonidas and his men lay down their lives, not just for Sparta, but for all Greece and for the promise that this country holds. Now, here on this ragged patch of earth called Plataea, Xerxes' hordes face obliteration. Just there, the barbarians hide, sheer terror gripping them tight their hearts with icy fingers, knowing full well what they suffered at the hands of 300. Yet here they stand now, across the field from 10,000 Spartans, commanding 30,000 free Greeks. The enemy outnumbers us three to one. Good odds for any Greek. This day, we rescue a world from mysticism and tyranny, and usher a world brighter than any we can imagine. To victory. And when I heard this this time, I almost thought of this as like John, the last apostle living, writing about looking back right. on his his brother apostles have been killed, his Christ, his king has been killed. And during their time with Jesus, they talked about how they didn't understand it until later, until the spirit descended upon them. And so this cryptic message coming forth and the word being spread spread to all of Greece and all the world. And it's kind of this like final battle cry, almost like a letter to the early Christians. So that's how I saw it. What do you think? 
Yeah, totally. I think it's the same sense of it's it's almost like what's this movie's been building up to. This idea of of fighting to the end of seeing the odds and being like we're not yeah, we're outnumbered, but we're not going to give up because we know who we are. We know who we stand for. We know what true what truth is and what true freedom is and if you, God is for us, who could stand against? Yeah. And if I take that to the grave, I did everything I could and I glorified something properly and I'm okay with that. And yeah, it's just this final, like you said, this final call to to the early Christians of just like, we have to do this even when it seems like everything else is saying otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Do you have any challenges? Actually. Oh, go ahead. This it's it's in perfect contrast to the line when he's calling you to stand. It's easier to kneel because it is easier to succumb. Hmm. But what he's calling, what we're saying is like looking at like the thirty thousand to to, to three thousand or whatever odds and saying, "I'm going to stand." Yeah, the like choose to that's do, to do the more difficult. It's, yeah, it's harder, but it's more. It's 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 more better. It's more, it's way more better. One of the things that like I've heard, and I believe this hundred percent about men, especially though, sorry, ladies, we're not trying to make this just a, a male dominant episode, men. but it kind of is targeted at that kind of audience. So one of the things about men that I've been told, and I completely believe is that, uh, men will only rise to the standards that you give them. So if you challenge men to do something very, very difficult and those around them are challenging them to do something difficult they will do all in their power to do that. But if your standards and, and your challenges for men are very, very low, they're only going to rise to what that is. Yeah, totally. And that's one of the reasons why I hate the, oh, boys will be boys. Like, <laughs> no, that's so dumb. Like, it's just excusing them to do whatever they see fit, which is so, so bad. Don't ever say that. But when we have these good standards, when we have this challenge to stand, when it is difficult and there's 30,000 people standing beside you that that's what we need. You right. know, that's where we, we rise to the challenge. Totally. As men. Yeah. So, so challenges. Yes. Did you have one? I have one. Go ahead. So the one that I really want to focus on is St. Joseph. He is known as his nickname, the terror of demons because he is such a just man. Uh, and his protection over the Holy Family. And so my challenge is to take him to prayer and ask for his intercession. Even if you are not a man, uh, he's still the terror of demons. Uh, so <laughs> ask ask him to to pray for you, ask for his intercession in your life, and pray for the men in your life, yeah. uh, and help them rise to the challenge that, that they're called to. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I'd, like I said last episode, I don't want to give too much during this Lenten season, so... Just to refocus your prayer, and I think that's I think that's solid. Shoutouts? I don't have one. Yeah, this we week. we just kind of. We'll give, is... I'll give a shout out to Avery because she's the one that invited me to the the practice, the open practice. Okay, yeah, that's the only one I have. Cool, that works. Otherwise, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if if you want to know where you can find us, we have lots of ways you can do that. We have a website, thechristinculture.com, where we have all these episodes, uh, you know, split up into seasons and and who's on recording on what episode with guests and who they are and blogs that we've written and all these different things that you probably didn't know we had 
But we do. But we do. We have all of them, all yeah. those things. And they're all on this website. And One neat little package. Yeah, one little thing. You can also reach us through that website if you've always wanted to like reach out, get a shout out um, to just let us know how we're doing. If you have an idea, we would love to do it. Yeah. All those things on this website. You can also find our social media through the website, which is we have a Twitter at on the adventure two. Uh, we have a YouTube, which is the Christ and culture. And we have a Facebook page, which is forward slash the Christ and culture as well. All those things are, we try to post these podcasts as well and where you can reach out to us. Um, if you want to let us know how we're doing, um, usually wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, if you want to rate us with, with how we're doing on like a four to five star scale with a yeah. few words. That, Only four uh, to five. Yeah, four to five. Um, six six stars, please. It, that really pushes the algorithm that is of the internet world to find us easier. Yeah. Like we get to the people that, that likes these kind of episodes, like this kind of podcast, and, and we get more listened to. Um, and it's it's spreading that that good news we're talking about. Yeah, and we really feed off of the attention. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. kidding. And lastly, if you really really enjoy what we do, and you're like, how can I help out? How can I do more? We do want to make this great better question. for you. Uh, there's a lot of like equipment and and needs that we we could do to to reach you better, to make make these episodes far greater than than they are, and that just takes time and money. And so mm-hmm. we have a patreon.com forward slash the Christ and culture where you can support us on a monthly basis. And with, with those, you can see there's different tiers that we will reward you um, with many, many forms of thank yous. And so go check that out. Just You just go check out the pages, extra content on, there's other things like that, all as a thank you for, for supporting what, what this is. Yeah. And actually, in the next 30 minutes, we're about to do live stream with those patrons to hang out and, and have some conversations about what it's like to uh, live the adventure that we're called to. Yep. So with that, thank you guys for joining us this week. We really, really appreciate you joining us. We enjoyed doing this and we're glad that you are here to share in that. So have a great week and we'll talk to you next week.